Welcome to the Made for Mondays podcast, where each week we talk about how to be love in our day-to-day lives. Now, here are your hosts, Executive Director at Believer's Church, Heather Carl, and Senior Pastor of Believer's Church, Jamie Stewart. Hey, I'm Heather, and who are you, fella? Hey there, Heather. It's Jamie. Welcome to May. It's May already. It is, it is May. It's already May. Hey, really good news. Um, I've gotten some notifications from like messages and stuff from some people. Uh-huh. I think our listenership is up to like seven or eight. What? Yeah. That This is a great way to start a new month. I feel like this is about to go viral. You we're, know? we're about to get into the teens. Yeah, we are. This is so exciting. <laughs> so exciting. I think it was Kyle. I think that's kind of what drove the yeah it could the be. listenership. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Kyle. Yeah, Kyle is great. He did such a good job. I wonder, do you think we could have any other person on here that would do as good of a job as Kyle? Uh, there's no way. I there's mean, no. When I way. think about like our staff, yeah. Hmm. Who who, who else could we even have like, on here that would? I think we could have Doug. Oh yeah, we could have Doug. We need to have Doug soon. Probably Rhonda. Rhonda would do great. Yeah, Rhonda would be awesome. Anyone else? Um, How about Megan? Gosh, Megan. She could talk about worship and stuff. Yep, yep, that, she could. Good. Brent, he does so well with communications right, right now. Yeah. Telling everybody all the things. Yeah, uh, he's doing a great job, too. I don't really think there's anybody else. Yeah, I think that, that about does it. Sam, what do you think? Yeah, he's... Oh, Sam's good with that. Yeah, he's, he's our engineer. He's our engineer. He's... He's fine with it. <laughs> That's good. All right. Um, so <laughs> yesterday we talked about divorce yes. in our message. And you and I both have parents who are divorced. Yep. So that was, this is like a real, it's a reality for you to talk about this. Yep. Um, it's a big part of, I, honestly, even though it happened so long ago, it's just, it is a big part of who I am. Like, it's such a part of my story. Well, sure. It shapes you. Yep, it really yep. does. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first two points of your message really go hand in hand with one another. God hates divorce and God loves you. That yep. was one and two. Yep. Um, and while that seemed a little bit harsh opening point, the thing that stood out to me was when you said God hates divorce, not because you broke his rules, but because it breaks and damages you. Right. Um, so what are damages that you've seen as a result of divorce? Well, there's just all the practical stuff, you know, that I, I mentioned that happened to us, you know, almost, almost always, um, the, the financial impact on the woman in particular, um, you know, we went from an upper middle class kind of family to, um, barely scraping by, you know, we had to live with family cause we we couldn't afford to be on our own. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, there's that. There's the relational aspect, you know, the damage that happens relationally around a couple that goes through divorce. And, you know, we've seen that happen even within the the church when a couple goes through that. Friends are in this really weird place where they have to kind of sort of pick sides. At least they feel like they need to. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's all that kind of stuff. But then there's... I just think like it is such a traumatic experience. Um, the damage to the person is the same damage that you know a, a high amount of stress 
does to someone or depression does to someone. Um, you know, I can think of people who've, you know, lost all kinds of weight, mm -hmm. um, people who lose, you know, all sense of energy and focus and purpose. Um, I've seen this happen a fair amount too, and I know you have as well, but um, again, primarily with, um, I've seen this with women where um, their sense of self-worth has mm -hmm. been destroyed. And so they try to um, validate their sense of value through new relationships mm -hmm. and, you know, oftentimes just in very unhealthy ways. You know, they yep. um, are seeking attention and approval in ways that just are not going to be healthy for them. Yeah, so it, I mean, when we, when you think of the damage of divorce, it's so far reaching. I think it it's is. even, and it seems to me that even, um, like collectively when we've seen that play out in different people, if we're the ones that are kind of going through that, divorce might seem like it's just kind of the best answer, mm -hmm. not considering all of those things that happen when, when you actually start walking through it. Yeah, I, I think, and I don't want to get ahead of our conversation, yeah. but I do think, um, you know, when someone's in a situation where, you know, divorce, I mean, who wants to go there? But, right. You know, they get to that place where they feel like there's no other option. I think most people the the impact of it the negative impact of it is so deep and so wide i i think most people have not really thought through all of the ramifications mm -hmm. of the decision of that life event that they're about to mm -hmm. go into so they think they're this is going to end something but it creates just this you know monsoon of of problems mm -hmm. that's really difficult to navigate yeah so yesterday you shared the story of your mom feeling somewhat abandoned when um, she and your dad divorced several years ago. And I think the stigma of divorce have, has lessened a little bit since then, but there's yeah. still a sense of judgment, particularly from church people, when a family goes through divorce, right? I mean, yep. there, there's just that just kind of naturally happens. So who gets to stay at the church? Friend right. groups, serving teams can be divided. You kind yep. of talked about that just a second ago. But yep. in what ways can the church do a better job of walking with people heading for or even going through divorce? Yeah, I think the first step for a church to be able to do this well is the church has to have a, a culture or an environment where where people are honest about not having it all together themselves. Yes. You know, so mm -hmm. I think, you know, if I think, you know, when my parents went through that divorce, however, you know, almost 40 years ago, probably. Um, everyone in, in the church world, you know, they wore their Sunday best, you know, sure. they, they look like they have it all together. And so when someone clearly doesn't have it all together, um People don't know how to respond to that, so they distance themselves, I think, in part for fear, you know, that, I don't know, 
maybe that they're going to get found out. I don't know what I don't know what the fear is, but I think if a church can create a culture where, um, okay, you're going through a divorce, that's not my thing, but here's my thing. You mm-hmm. know, like I'm struggling with this, that, or the other. I think if, and we all have those things. So if we could just get honest about where we are, then it then it's not so hard to come alongside of someone else who's going through a struggle that, you know, they're at, at the core of a divorce. There's there's some sort of sin there. There's selfishness. There's whatever it is. Um, but to be able to come alongside and, and not treat them as they they are some untouchable. Uh, you know, people, uh, but that they're just people who this is their struggle and they need, they need love and support and encouragement, just like anyone who's going through any kind of struggle does. Right. I think that's what, so we try to do F leavers and we talk about we're a church for the messy. (laughs) So, um, you know, we did a series not too long ago called messy church and that's just who we are. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think the the thing that you're saying there too is like people um, with their fears. It's like I think particularly if you haven't faced whatever that fill in the blank thing is, mm-hmm. then you feel feel ill equipped to respond to someone who's going through that. Um, but I think a lot of people just want to know that they're still loved and yeah. and so much of divorce too. I think. Um, the people that are going through it in some ways on both sides of it feel like they're kind of helpless in the situation. Absolutely. For a lot of people, they're facing that because the other person is asking for it. Right. And you just kind of have to go along with the ride on that. And then to like feel like you have no one supporting you when you already don't want to be in this situation is really... <clears throat> really difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, you, you hit on something else there that I think is really important. You know, for the church to be able to come alongside people in any struggle, divorce or whatever it is, um, we must have enough margin in our lives to be able to invest time in people who are struggling. And I think you know, the, the pandemic of 2020 has yeah. forced us to kind of slow down in ways that, um, you know, so much of it is destructive. But I think everyone has kind of realized uh, that the pace that they were going at was probably not healthy or sustainable. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to be loved like Jesus loved, we have to have room in our schedules to be able to pause what we are doing and come alongside of someone else as they go through something. And I think that's, you know, our culture values running at breakneck speed, but man, if the church has, if the church is going to be Jesus to people, um, Jesus wasn't hurried and uh, we're going to have to figure out how to be present with people as they go through, as they go through whatever it is that they're going through. And the last piece of, and it's kind of tied to the first thing that I said, but like, if you're aware of how much God has forgiven you for, it's not really that hard to be graceful towards someone else. Right. And I think a lot of people just, they, they get to a place where they've earned, they're, they're so good, you know, uh, that 
that they've earned God's goodness and, oh, look at this, you know, slouch over here. They can't seem to get themselves together like, like me. Yeah. Uh, so just an awareness of the grace that we have received allows us to be full of grace for others, I think. Absolutely. So culturally speaking, there seems to be a sense that divorce is an easy out. What filter should Christians use when contemplating getting divorce? In other words, are there situations where despite the Bible saying God hates divorce, that you would say divorce is justified? Uh, well, Jesus himself in Matthew 19 gave uh, one example of where uh, divorce is allowed, and it's a concession. It's not a requirement, uh, but that is if a spouse has been unfaithful. Um, that's, that's one condition. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul gives another out, if you will, and that is uh, if uh, one spouse abandons the other. And in that particular context, it's really when an unbelieving spouse leaves a believing spouse, uh, which was probably something very specific going on within the church there in Corinth. But I think you can pull the principle out and say, you know, abandonment is, you know, if someone deserts you, you don't have to, you know, you're free from the bond of marriage. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, some people will, will pull that out and, and say, well, desertion is lots of things. You know, it's, um, you know, someone could be abandoned emotionally or, you know, there's, I've heard people try to pull that principle out to apply more broadly. Mm -hmm. Um, but those two are, are the very specific ones. And then there's stuff that doesn't get mentioned in the Bible that um, whether you want to say it's it allows for divorce, but it certainly, I'll, you know, caution or, or common sense would say that um, it should at bare minimum allow for separation. And that is, you know, just any kind of abuse, you know, that obviously that's that's not something that is addressed specifically in the Bible, but um, you know, if, the, if someone is in, a, in an abusive relationship, they need to get out of that. Right. So. Yep. So we've talked about this throughout the viral series. Pain is often a precursor to growth. Uh, the final points in your divorce survival guide message were to own and learn what we can and to move forward slowly. So owning up to our part of conflict is so, it's so difficult it's much easier to just point out someone else's wrong, isn't it? Yep, sure is. Um, this is something all of us can apply, whether or not we've gone through divorce. Uh, so how have you seen owning your part play out in some conflicts you've faced? Yeah, so any any conflict, when you wade into it, you know, there's, there's basically, you know, two responses that the person is going to have. They're either going to be defensive, dig their heels in and defend their position uh, when you come at them with a conflict, or they'll disagree with you. But if you go into conflict owning what you can own, uh, it definitely lowers defenses. And it's not really just a conflict resolution strategy although it's a pretty effective it's a pretty strategy. Good one. <laughs> it is a really good one. Uh, but I think, you know, part of it is just being honest, and that's what Jesus was, was getting at with that illustration that he used of, you know, going after a speck in someone else's eye when you have a log in your own. 
if there's a conflict, there's part of it that is yours. And so, you know, part of it is just being honest. Okay, I own some of the responsibility of this conflict, but, but it is a really good strategy to diffuse conflict, to own whatever part that you can. And there's a story that I've told uh, frequently, but it was when I first learned this principle, and it was um, the pastor who preceded me, Scott. Um, there was a, a a situation within the church that was pretty explosive at the time. It was a personnel matter, and we had a, a staff person who was going to be uh, who was being let go. Mm-hmm. And um, back in the day, we voted on everything. Everything. Yeah, yeah. I I could get sidetracked there for a while, but. Um, yeah, we voted on everything, including dismissing someone. So this is why this is such a horrible idea. And any church that does this really ought to reconsider. Because if you're going to let someone go, this person happened to be a really good person. Nothing wrong with the person's character. They just weren't very good at what they were doing. And so to let them go and get a church vote on it, you had to... It's embarrassing. You had to lay this person's... right ineptitude out in front of everyone. Yeah, horrible. Horrible. And so this person responded very defensively and uh, got angry and stirred up a lot of, you know, his family was in the church and had a lot of relationships and so tried to get um, people to vote to keep them, I guess. And so um, we were having a, a family meeting. It was a Sunday night. And the place was packed because people love a fight, you know? So it's like middle school, fight! Everyone (laughs) comes running. I mean, some of these people we hadn't seen in church in years, you know? But they know there's there's blood that's about to be spilt, you know? So they show up. And the way the meeting was going to go was um, the pastor, was Scott, was going to start, and then this person was going to follow and then there would be a, a vote on this proceeding this sounds like a great plan <laughs> yeah it was fabulous well scott um he said to me before the meeting started he said um i know what i'm gonna do surrender to win mm. and i didn't know what he meant but he got up there and he said, um, you know, I want to start by just saying, you know, I probably have not done my part in leading this staff member. I could have coached them more. I could have invested more. I could have given them, you know, better training, uh, better feedback. I haven't done reviews in, in timely ways so that they didn't know that they mm-hmm. weren't doing a good enough job. And he just, he went through a list of things that he could take ownership of Mm -hmm. in that particular situation. And then he said to the, to the guy in front of the whole church that he was sorry that he did not lead him well. And the whole room changed, I bet. Oh, so now this guy gets up, it's his, his turn at the podium. And what's he going to do? Right. You know, he would look like a total doofus if he, like, lays the guy out. The guy just apologized. He just owned everything mm-hmm. that he could own. 
And so the guy just gets up and he says, you know, working here has just been a great privilege. I'm sorry that it's ended in the way that it is. Thank you. Wow. And that was the end of the meeting. It was amazing. And I, I thought when I saw that, I, I just, I tucked that away, you know, surrender to win. Own whatever you can own in any conflict. I mean, that's good in marriage. That's good in any type of situation. If you can own your part, uh, it lowers the defenses of everybody around you. It diffuses situations. I mean, Jesus was genius, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think owning your part is so critical. Um, and it it's honest, but it's also just this, it lowers the tension in any conflict. Mm-hmm. What kind of lessons have you learned about yourself through different conflicts that you've been engaged in? What have I learned about myself? Yeah. Uh, well, that I'm I'm uh, I'm often very self-centered. That's where most of my conflicts come from, especially at home, uh, is because I make things about me that aren't really about me. And um, yeah, it's it's probably uh, one of the big ones. And even though this principle is so powerful. Um, at home, in marriage, in parenting, surrender to win is very humbling. Mm-hmm. Like it's way easier to do in a work situation. It's way harder to humble yourself to the people who know you the best. Right. And so, um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not the. I'm not the best practitioner of that principle. Within my home. Yeah. As much as I am in the marketplace. <laughs> yeah, so. I think that's, but that's the key to that. I I think if all of us, honest, you talked about honesty, yep. honestly acknowledged our self-centeredness. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the root of conflict. Like we want to be right. We want yep. to be the one that has the answers or whatever that is. It's about us. Yeah. I I say it all the time. You know, people will, will say, you know, that money problems are the, the biggest problem within a marriage or, you know, the greatest cause of divorce is finances and, uh, probably sexual infidelity or whatever. But both of those at, at the core of them is selfishness. So selfishness is the number one, if not the only cause of divorce. Right. Uh, you know, financially, why are you fighting? Because each of you want to spend the money the way you want to spend it. Right. That's called selfishness. Yep. You know, it's not a financial problem. It's a selfish problem. So, yeah, I think uh, selfishness is at the heart of what sin is. And that's why deferring to others and serving others is the antidote to that. Because that's what Jesus has called us to. And it's the opposite of how we're wired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you hinted at this a little bit a little bit ago, but um, I feel like the final point of moving forward slowly yeah. is also applicable to so many situations. Mm-hmm. Certainly, many of us have seen people jump right into the next relationship after, or even in the midst of divorce. Well, it's not finalized yet, but right, right, right. but it's going to be. Yeah. And so, um, what are some questions we should be asking ourselves before entering into a serious relationship? Like, what should be true of us to set ourselves up for a healthy relationship 
in the future? Yeah, I think I think the uh, I, I did a I did a search on this and uh, I can't remember the author's name, but it was the title of the book was something like 101 questions to ask before remarriage. Oh gosh. (laughs) Wow. That's a lot of questions. Uh, You'd be be taking it slowly just by answering. Yeah. If you answered everyone, boom, now you're ready. (laughs) You know, it's taken you three years to answer all those. Right. Um, But I think, I, I do think, you know, it's part of the earlier points in that message, which is, you know, you're not ready for a, another relationship until you can clearly identify what part you played in the demise of the last one. If you can't answer that question, you're clearly not ready. Well, you're going to just do it again. You're just going to do it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've seen that. And second marriages have a much higher rate of divorce because you're bringing all the previous baggage now into that one. So, you know, where divorce, you know, people say, I don't know what it is, but people say it's around 50%, 40%, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, second marriages uh, end at a 60% rate, and and th- it actually goes up after that. So, um, yeah, so I think that's part of it is they never did process what they were responsible for, and so they repeat the same things that, uh, sabotage the next one. Um, you know, what lessons did you learn? If you can't answer that and come up with a pretty long list of things that you learned through the experience, not even just like here, what, here was what I contributed, but other things that you learned. Uh, I think that's a, a good question to ask. And not just that you learned how awful your spouse was. <laughs> yeah. I know they were right? awful, but yeah. what, what was wrong with you that that terrible person was the person that you decided to marry? Mm. Like, if that person was Satan and you married them, what's that say about you? Like, you have to be able to answer that. And that's, that's a tough question. Um, but what was it? You know, why did you fall for that? If that person is so terrible, why were you so blinded to it? Yeah. Um, that's a tough one to, to answer. Um, and then there's just the matter of time. You know, how long has it been? And if it... I mean, I don't know that there's a magic amount of time. Maybe it depends a little bit on how long the per- how long the marriage was. Maybe mm-hmm. I don't know, but I just sort of feel like um, a couple years is probably the bare minimum just mm-hmm. to process. I think you know you need time to maybe it's counseling or, or whatever it is, but you know to process something so traumatic takes time. And so uh, a couple years, and then, you know, if there's kids involved, um, then there's a host of other things that you have to start asking yourself. Um, So, um, you know, we talk around here about in marriage, God's your number one, your spouse is your number two, your kids are number three. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you go through a divorce, that changes. Now God's number one, and your kids move into number two slot. And I'm not going to say that I don't think you you can blend a family. I know plenty of people who've done it and done it well. But I do think uh, you should move very slowly 
and maybe have your kids at the right stage of life mm -hmm. before you bump them from number two back to number three. Because mm -hmm. it's just really difficult for, for kids. Like my, my mom got remarried. Um, I was in high school. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was old enough that I, I don't think it, you know, I never had, I was never confused by what was sure. going on. I think sometimes uh, the younger the kid, the, the more complex it mm -hmm. is, certainly. And yeah. so I just think there's a whole host of, of questions. Move very slowly uh, if you're considering that and you have kids because, um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, how do you, how do you discipline your kids? Mm -hmm. How do you, how do, what's, you know, there's just so many, I mean, talk about, um, there's hardly anything more personal than correcting a parent. Right. Right. So you see, you know, a parent who's not parenting well or not the way you like, and it drives you crazy. Mm -hmm. But now you're married to someone who parents different than you, and it's your kids or right. their kids. Right. That's dicey. Yeah. You're like entering with conflict on the table. It's ready-made. Because mm -hmm. parenting's already hard. And then throw in, a, right. throw in this relationship thing. It's just really, really tough. That's, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. I think... Um, so just to be cautious and yeah, to be, slow. <laughs> to be slow. That it's, it begs to slow down mm -hmm. when that's what's going on. Yeah. I think what's really interesting about that um, idea, too, when you talk about slow and, um, you know, you said maybe even up to a couple of years. I think right now as we think about how our lives have been slowed down so much and people have been, there's been sort of this um, idea that with the slower pace and the quiet, we've been able to kind of do some self-reflection yep. a little bit more. And that's really what giving yourself time before entering into another relationship is going to do. Like you said, it's, it's traumatic. And I think so often we don't just like... Before we enter into divorce, we don't have an idea of how damaging it can be. Post-divorce, um, we don't understand that the ramifications of that can be long-lasting. It's it's traumatic experience. And so, um, you know, this idea to take the time to just kind of be by yourself, to really pour your energy if you have kids into your kids and pour your energies into seeking God and who he's created you to be and what he's calling you to be in this next season yeah, of being your life. Whole yourself. Yeah. Before right. going back into something, yeah. I just think is so, so important. So important. And you think about it, like from our perspective as kids, how much divorce marked us and we didn't, we were not the ones who got divorced. Right. So just imagine the impact that that has and how, you know, if it took, it took me years to get over my parents' divorce. Yeah. I mean, I think like for me, my, I was an adult, like I was married when my parents got divorced. I had a little sister who was still living at home and went through all of that. But even as an adult, my parents were married for like 30 years. And yeah. so what that does to your sensibility so in... True. In like how you're going to, okay, so how long is my marriage going to last? If I yep. can get it through 30 years, like, 
yeah, it just brings up all sorts of questions. And so to take time to process all of that is so important. It really is. Well, that's all we've got time for today. If you're enjoying the Made for Mondays podcast, please share on your social media feeds and be sure to leave us a positive rating. Also, from time to time, we'll be doing episodes that will answer your questions. Do you have questions about divorce that we didn't answer today? About other topics? You can send them to us by emailing madeformondays at believerschurch.org. Jamie and I will get them directly, and the link will be included in the show notes. And speaking of questions, in July, Believer's Teaching Team is going to be doing a message series called You Asked For It. Each week of this series, we'll be answering questions submitted by you. So if you have a question that you'd like to be considered as a message topic, just email us at the Made for Mondays email address and put You Asked For It in the subject line. Yes, please. Thanks for being here, friends. Let's do all we can to be love this week.